Oh, well, good evening, LCM. Hey, tonight is Wednesday, March 31st, 2021. Is time flying by this year? Hey, you know what? We are 90% the way through our first 100 days of this year. And what a special time we're in because we are discovering, learning, and walking in the ancient times on the ancient path. We got something special for you guys tonight. I mean, every time that we get up, we have something special from the heavens. But tonight, tonight's going to require your engagement with us about the matter. Are you ready to engage with us? All right, we're going to get right down to it. Tonight, the sermon title is Ancient Hostilities. Ancient Hostilities. So let's jump right in. Turn with us to Ezekiel chapter 25. You know it's a good night when we're starting off in Ezekiel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is, lay on your side. Ezekiel chapter 25, and we're going to start in verse 15. I promise you this is not going to be your typical crucifixion type service here together. We're starting off in Ezekiel chapter 25, and we're going to go somewhere that the Lord has for you tonight. He has laid out a pathway. He has called the end from the beginning, and he has put us on that ancient path. And that ancient path has some ancient hostilities that we need to learn how to deal with. Ezekiel chapter 25 and verse 15. Somebody say ancient hostilities when you get there. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Because the Philistines acted in vengeance and took revenge with malice in their heart and with ancient hostility sought to destroy Judah. Just says it right there. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm about to stretch out my hand against the Philistines. And I will cut off the Carathites and destroy those remaining along the coast. I will carry out great vengeance on them and punish them in my wrath. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I take vengeance upon them. Church, we are talking about ancient hostilities tonight. Because there are ancient enemies that have to be dealt with. Here in Ezekiel's day, which by the way is the same time period as Jeremiah. So we're also talking about it being Jeremiah's day. And there are enemies, the the name of these enemies is the Philistines. That should ring true all the way back, right through your, your word as you go back and thinking, not only David and Goliath, but even before that. See, their hearts, the Philistines' hearts were aligned and joined to an ancient hostility. Before David slew Goliath, before Samson tore them to pieces, before Abimelech attempted to pollute God's holy people, there is an ancient hostility that permeates and runs through the heart of every one of God's enemies. An ancient hostility. Why does that person get so mad at you? Maybe they're attached to an ancient hostility. Maybe they don't even understand why they don't like you when they look at you, when they hate what you're doing. Because it started with God's people, and you could see it here, an ancient hostility towards God's people. Think about Ephesians 6. That Ephesians 6 passage that says, you are not wrestling against flesh and blood. But what are you wrestling against? Ancient hostilities that are called principalities and powers and spiritual forces. There are ancient hostilities behind the attacks towards God's people. Now, you'll be interested to find that this word for ancient Hostility, that word hostility, is found all the way back in the beginning. Let's all turn to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 15. Look, as you're turning to Genesis 3, Pastor just quoted a very important, vital, pivotal, and familiar verse out of Ephesians 6, right? Do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, rulers. Uh, How many of you guys honestly have remembered that verse after you reacted poorly in the moment. Yes. So what we're going to do tonight is that we're going to take that familiarity, we're going to just dust it right off and get a new perspective on the revelation of God's word and what this is really pertaining to in us. Are you ready to receive revelation tonight? Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity... Between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, and you 
will strike his heel. Now, there are many levels of what's happening in this one verse. I mean, we literally picked out one singular verse to begin to lay the groundwork and understand about these ancient hostilities. So let's take it for the plain, the obvious, push-shot meeting of what this is speaking about, right? You got me? So God is speaking to the serpent in this passage. He's cursing him to the being confined to crawling on his belly and eating dust. But you know what? God is saying that there will be hostility. That this word enmity is the word hostility. We want to put them on equal ground. So right here, literally, God is declaring the end from the beginning. Just like he spoke in what we shared on Sunday, that he says that I will do all that I please. My purpose will stand. So here, in the declaration of war, dealing with an ancient hostility, he's telling that serpent, her seed will crush your head. Your seed will strike his heel. We have now a hostile nature of engagement. This is setting the stage for what is going to be a bloody battle. Everybody say bloody battle. Bloody battle. Because look, before there were nations, there were hostilities. Before there were people groups on this earth, there were hostilities. The people, nations, and enemies of God are simply manifestations of these ancient hostilities. Now, as we lay down this groundwork, understand that we're looking into Genesis, this accounting of God setting up a, a contentious warfare to deal with these ancient hostilities. But when God made Adam, he called them to subdue and multiply, to kibosh and male. See, ancient hostilities have always been here well before Adam, but God has a solution of how to deal with them. You should already feel enlightened and encouraged tonight. We don't often think about the ancient hostilities being there even before people groups were there. That's an incredible thought that before the people groups, before the nations got there, there were ancient hostilities. There was an ancient battle that was, had already begun and God was introducing his plan into this to be able to be victorious in many bloody battles that it would take. Turn with us to Genesis 16. Still in Genesis. There we go. Genesis 16, let's look at verse 11. You are not wrestling against flesh and blood. The flesh and blood are just being representatives of some ancient hostilities and they're being influenced by them. The angel, uh, Genesis 16 and verse 11. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant. This is the angel of the Lord speaking to Hagar, an Egyptian who was the wife, uh, uh, um, uh, was a mistress of Sarai. You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. <laughs> Those are not my words. Those are from the scripture. Amen. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. See, here we're seeing the Lord speaking to Hagar, a servant, a, a slave of Sarai. God's proclamation to Hagar is that she will have a wild donkey of a son. She will have a son who will be like a wild donkey. A man who will be the embodiment of ancient hostilities that were already present in creation. In Genesis 25, I'm just going to read this to you. Stay where you are. This is before Ishmael is born. In Genesis 25, you see Ishmael at the end of his life. And it says this, verse 17, Ishmael lived 137 years. Wow. He breathed his last and died, and he was gathered to his people. His descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt, which makes sense since his mother was from there, as you go towards Ashur. And they lived in hostility toward all the tribes related to them. See, this wow. didn't have to wait until the 600s AD before there was a, an entire religion grouped around these descendants. This was from the beginning, an ancient hostility. And this man and his family began to be the embodiment thereof. 
before they were other nations and people groups, church, we want you to understand there were already ancient hostilities. Perhaps the Lord is drawing out to battle. You could be thinking, why would then God accept and actually give Hagar this son, Ishmael? It's because there were already ancient hostilities and God was drawing it out into battle. He was drawing it out because his plan from the ancient times was to defeat every hostility through a very, very bloody battle. And we're going to show you some of that here on our next slide. So we have this slide here. We compiled a list of ancient hostilities and they're paired in this fashion. We have ancient attacks and then the ancient host who were the manifestation carrying out those attacks, right? So we look at the corruption of the human race. Who was the host of that? It was the defection and rebellion of the Benai Elohim. Then we move on to the corruption of the nation. This is a potential that was about to happen with Abimelech. Abimelech had Sarah. Abraham said, she's my sister. Something was about to happen that was going to corrupt the generations coming forth from Abraham and Sarah's line. God had to put a stop to it and put a stop to it in a very personal place. It got Abimelech's attention that the generations were under attack as an ancient hostility. And God said, uh -uh, it ain't going to happen. And I'm going to make sure it stops. Well, this continues on when we look at worldwide famine happening in the land that's affecting the generations of Israel, of Jacob. And it's trying to get at a starvation, but it's coming through an attack in nature as the host. Well, think about during Moses' day. You have a murdering of the males within Egypt. This is instituted by Pharaoh. But don't forget, it's an ancient hostility at work behind the workings of Pharaoh. Well, there's then the military intimidation, the chasing down through the desert of Egypt, pursuing Israel as they're fleeing. They end up getting swallowed in the Red Sea. It's another ancient hostility demonstrating attack through a host. Well, this goes on to unnatural giant obstacles, right, being displayed through the Nephilim. Then move on in the story of the history of Israel, and you will learn about reprobate, reprobate relatives. We covered this when we went through the book of Chronicles. Athaliah, after all of these things, all the children have been put to death, that she's looking to exterminate the very seed that's going to carry on the generations of Israel's kingship. Well, then you have air raids on God's house. This was in conjunction with the workings of Athaliah looking to put to death the young males of their time within the house of Israel. Well, fast forward a little bit more. Everybody knows about the foreign domination coming through Sennacherib, Sennacherib, right? He's going to put an end to the entire nation of Israel as they're gathered behind the walls of Jerusalem. Do you see the attack after attack of attack, but it's manifesting through a host, a host that is carrying out these ancient hostilities. Well, this goes on to the xenophobic hatred of God's people, anti-Semitic at all, all, all heights found within Haman. I mean, Haman's goal was to exterminate every Jew on the face of this earth, exterminating then the promises of God that were originally established. It then goes on to the fences of religious people found in the very townspeople that Jesus interacted with. As he demonstrated who he was, he drew out these ancient hostilities, and these were the attacks that came through the very people in the villages he was preaching salvation to. They wanted to throw him off of a cliff. How's your evangelism been going here recently? <laughs> and then we have the demonstration again through nature in the means of supernatural storms. These dark clouds that try to show dominance and suppression of the gospel being advanced realize that all of these are ancient hostilities and it's an attack through a host is that clear for everybody yeah. amen this slide takes you through thousands of years of human history we only picked 12 yeah from Genesis, which would be the first one, on into the Newer Testament, which is the 12th one. We could have picked 50, we could have picked 100, we could have picked 500, and then we could have just started picking from the actual history that was recorded outside of the Bible. 
We could give you a thousand different examples, but we thought that 12 might set this up for you well. Because all of these hostilities and any others that you find against God people are, are aimed at one thing. They're aimed at thwarting God's plan of redemption for the entire creation through God's seed as mentioned in Genesis 3. See, what he proclaimed is that ancient hostility would yes. be there and there would be a war. There would be a battle. You should see an endless cycle, repeating cycles of hostility initiated even before creation began, but that plays out again and again throughout time. And each time, each of these hostile hosts, each of these hostile forces are trying to stop God's plan. See, you think an enemy just attacks you just to get at you. <laughs> When you are part of God's plan, there is a constant attack, a hostility towards you to try to end God's plan in you and across the face of the earth. And what happens then is that a bloody battle ensues and God shows himself to be like no other. A God who will come in and run in to rescue you, but not as like a, just a, a soft, tender man. He comes in like a warrior. He comes he in does. like a mighty fighting man who comes in and dashes the enemy and thrashes them and puts them under his feet. And eventually he will put them under our feet. This is a battleground that we're dealing with. Yeah. I am so appreciative of the Lord. Amen. Yeah, understatement of a lifetime, right? <laughs> I like the Lord. He is good. <laughs> Specifically, I appreciate the Lord and how he used un- scheduled unplanned prophecies tonight to help give us that exact same thing he is a warrior warrior is his name yeah you see now if there Come are on. constant ancient hostilities why our god manifests himself as a warrior as someone who comes in and says there are fighters there are there are uh hostile ancient hostilities that are against me and I will come out and I will not allow them to win. I will put them down, but they will continue to rise up against me until I put them down for all time. And that is what we are talking about tonight. Pastor, speaking of continue to rise up against me, uh, I just really need you to pray for me right now, Pastor. I need a new job. I mean, everywhere I go within this job, there's this one person that hates God and they are complete and constant irritant to my soul. I hate being around worldly people. I need a new job. That's the wrong attitude. I've never had that before. I have. I absolutely have. What does, what does God do? What is he faithful to do to pastor us through that? If you do get a new job, which is a miracle in and of it by itself, he makes sure that same kind of person is at that next job. It's waiting for you. Because God wants to work through these cycles of hostility. If it's not xenophobic annihilation of the people, then it's going to be famine. If it's not famine, then it's going to be this, 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 or this. No matter where you go, hostility is going to follow you because God is at war through, these, through you for these ancient hostilities. You can't run from it. God designed you to be right smack dab in the middle of it. We are in a supernatural battle with ancient and entrenched hostilities. The war is for the destiny of the human race, and it is dependent on the fate of the nation of Israel, the nation that the seed actually came through. The king from the tribe of Judah has come to power, and he will sit on David's throne ruling all the nations. But we must learn to contend with the ancient hostilities. Whether it's expressed through storms, genocide, reprobate relatives, offenses of religious people, nephilim, demonic spirits, military conflicts, or deceived, defecting angels trying to pull us off track. It's time. Church, I'm telling you, it's time. It's time for us as the church of Jesus Christ to understand the parameters of battle and take our stand against these ancient hostilities. Amen. We have to stop waiting for someone else to get up and go to war for us. We have to get up and go to war ourselves. We have to quit sitting on our salvation and denying the very declarations of war that God has established against these ancient hostilities. 
You begin to preach about these things. You begin to preach about God contending with the ancient hostilities. War is coming to you, but your God is standing next to you. Each of us have a part to play in this war. Every member of the body of Christ, the army of God, is indispensable. Everyone is a valuable contributor to this battle. We are called to win, church. And we can only do that together. I want to win. Do you want to win? I want to win. Come on. Church, our God has called and declared war from Genesis 3 on. That's when we knew about the war that was needing to be fought in. But you might notice something because you guys are are people who love the word of God. You might notice listed on this screen ancient hostilities. And we talked about the ancient attacks and the hostile host. But you may notice what's not included on that list. A major player. A prime suspect. A dirty prosecutor that has been active even since the beginning to deceive Eve in the garden, to attack Job in every aspect of his life, to entice David towards the census, even accuse the high priest in the book of Zechariah. His name is Satan. Actually, his function is Satan. We call him the devil. Satan is the chief of the ancient hostilities, and it's actually seen all the way in Jesus' day. Throughout these, this ancient serpent, this ancient enemy of God, was at work to work through these proxies, these hostile enemies of God. He was working through behind the scenes, but it wasn't even until you get closer to the Newer Testament where you start seeing that the enemy, the embodiment of an ancient hostility is seen through the being named Satan. Let's take a look at this next slide. This next slide has Luke 4, 5 through 7 on it. The title of it, Satan Tips His Hand. Let's think about to those moments whenever an adversary of yours that's kept their plans hidden, subversive, sneak attacks. And all of a sudden, now you can see their every step. They're revealed for what they really are. That person at work that's been stealing and embezzling, you knew it, but couldn't call them on it and prove it. Now they get revealed for what they really are. You begin to see God's justice and war come to ancient hostilities. Luke 4, 5 through 7. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Now notice here in verse 5, Luke accounts by saying the devil. And we put on parallel terms the word devil with the word Satan. Satan is used in the Mark accounting of the temptation of Jesus. Well, Satan here is claiming to have authority over kingdoms of the world. And do you see that he is openly offering and soliciting, uh, offering these kingdoms for worship, to receive worship? This is the first time recorded in history that Satan does this. All other times prior to this, it is through a proxy. It is through someone else. But here he is caught red-handed in opposition to God as an ancient hostility. So when you're looking at this, you're realizing that it's at this point God begins to draw him out to battle. And he's drawing him out to battle in this desert location so that he can exercise his authority and dominance over him eventually. Leviticus 26 is an incredible passage because it begins to share with you what it looks like to put things in right order. It says that as you chase your enemy, you will put them down with the sword. This is exactly how Jesus handled Satan in this example. He began to quote from the book of Deuteronomy over and over and over again. He was starting to engage in battle, literally sword play against this ancient hostility, this ancient enemy, this ancient devil that was there. And this begins throughout the entire, this is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He begins by saying, hey, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Therefore, you need to repent. 
What if, the, there, what if the kingdom of heaven being at hand was not just to the people there, but Come to the principalities on, yeah. and powers? Yeah, and he's saying it's time to pick a fight. Yeah. And it's time for us as Christians to get away from the idea that the best thing that you can hope for is to have a quiet, nice life. You need to have the right kind of attitude that says our great leader... Our warrior God, our commander Christ is there and he goes to war constantly. Hallelujah. Man, you could be a loving father. You can be a tender husband. But you need to go out and start making war against the enemies of God. Amen. Let's all turn to Luke chapter 21 to see how much you and I have been warring lately. Luke 21 and we're going to look at verse 13. Wow, y'all are all worked up for a Wednesday night, Pastor. Yes, we are. We have heard the trumpet call of God. We have heard the war drums and their cadence in the background. And we're saying it's time for us to fight. Look at verse, uh, Luke 21, verse 13. And, so, and it says, and so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. Let's just stop there for a second. Let's not even really have it in the context yet. Let's just look at the words that are on the page. Make up your mind not to worry beforehand. The word just helps us no matter how deeply you look at it. If I just look at that, I'm like, man, why do I worry beforehand? Anybody else like me and you've ever worried like today beforehand something gets there? This week? And this is saying even further, it's not just not worry. It's saying you're actually being accused of something. You're actually in battle. And in the battle, you're not supposed to worry how you're going to defend yourself. Wow, it's time for us to raise our standards, folks. That's why we're on this ancient path, is so that we understand how to battle rightly the ancient hostilities. Let's keep going. Verse 15, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your... Ancient hostilities will be able to resist or contradict. Part of your worry is that you're not going to have the right thing to say at the right moment. Part of the thing is you're afraid that you're not going to have the right wisdom and know what to do in that moment. So you're afraid before you get there. And the truth is, is if you just trusted in God and knew that as you engage in battle that he's there to help you, your worries will go away. I will give you words and wisdom. You afraid about the words? He'll give it to you. You're afraid that you won't have the wisdom you need? He'll give it to you. It's almost like if you lack it, you can ask him for it and he will give liberally without finding fault. He's not even going to be mad at you when you ask for wisdom. None of your ancient adversaries, your ancient hostilities will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed. Ah, here's some good news. Wait a minute. Sounds like a battle to me. The concept of Christianity that says you're not going to have difficulties and everyone will love you is not Christianity. It's some farce that has been tried to pass as the word of God. Here, Jesus is saying you will be betrayed by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, friends, and they'll even put some of y'all to death. Sounds like a battle. That's what happens in a war. Yeah. Verse 17, everyone will hate you because of me. And yet we are constantly in our hearts wanting people to accept us. We're wanting affirmation from people who the Bible declares are going to hate you. And if they don't hate you, that's a much worse statement about who you are. Everyone will hate you because of me. That's what Christ is saying. If you have enough of Christ in you, people will not like you and they won't know why. Oh, it's not about your race. There's only one race. There's the human race. So get that out of here. They hate me because of the color of my hair. No, they don't. That's not it. That might even be what they say. That's not why they hate you. They have tapped into an ancient hostility. And if you love the Lord, they will hate you. Look at verse 18, but not a hair of your head will perish. I thought you just said that some of them would be put to death. Wait a minute. 
if some are going to be put to death and there's not a hair of my head that will perish, what is he talking about? Do you mean that even if they take my life from me, I still won't perish? Yes. Verse 19, stand firm and you will win life. Amen. These adversaries, these ancient hostilities, all of which have enlisted themselves in opposition to God, and they stand with the ancient serpent. Man, isn't that a great part about seeing someone that hates you for no reason? Someone get violently angry with you and you have no idea why? I was at... Uh, we went to a coffee shop the other day, me and Tom, and we were sitting there. And there was a man who was a, demon, a demoniac who was, who was walking around. And I'm talking to Tom, having a great time. And I'm just looking at this guy. And he'll come and sit down, and I just look at him, and he stands up and he walks away. And then he sits down and he starts getting profane. And Tom goes, it's really, it's really distracting. I was like, yes, I know. Hey! Shut up! <laughs> Just walked off and never came back. Yeah. Well, yeah. Do not rejoice that the demons tremble before you, but rather rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm saying that there are demonic influences around you and you just don't pay attention to them. That should even thrill you. I expect our children to be able to do what I'm telling you. Amen. That was not a pat on my back. That was an understanding that there are ancient hostilities at work all around you. And that betrayal is going to be part of this bloody battle. Everyone may hate you outside of those who love the Lord. Boy, that's what starts causing those who love the Lord to be like family to you. Actually, to be better than family to you. Because this family of God won't betray you. Or you're not a part of the family of God. If someone would betray you, then they don't belong here. See, you're supposed to stand firm against the ancient hostilities so that you can find victory. I'm telling you ahead of time, it's going to be a bloody battle. You're going to have to wage a bloody warfare. You're going to have to lay down your life just like Jesus Christ did. But when you do that, you will win life. You will get to go through this bloody process, but gain a victory. See, that's why he went to the cross. He went to the cross to give you victory. Let's all turn to Matthew 27 and see what this really looked like. Say ancient hostilities whenever you get there. Hey, in case you didn't notice, that was good pastoring right there that Pastor Wade did. You learning something? Yeah. Amen. Matthew 27, we'll pick up in verse 33. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. If... You are the son of God. Well, that sounds a lot like Luke 4. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way... The rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Do you see what's displayed here in a variety of participants? A full vent of ancient hostility. It's coming through. It's manifesting through these hosts who are participating in this event. 
of Jesus' crucifixion. You know, we were thinking that the hostiles were about to gain victory over God's plan. God had something different in store. Though all these hostilities were venting out, God was planning for victory the whole time. Because the participants were soldiers, there were sinners, there were priests and uh, teachers and elders, and all these guys were mocking him. But God was going to shut their mouths pretty soon. He was, in fact, going to shut their mouths. Can you picture this for a second, though? Jesus has already been beaten. He's already been tried. He's already gone through the city. He's already done all of these things, been before Herod, and here he is after all of that incredible physical abuse. What's the phrase? To add insult to injury? Yeah. That's literally what's going on in here. You guys remember the phrase, or you might have said it to your kids, sticks and stones will never break, will, uh, will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I did not let, we did not say that in our family. Words can absolutely hurt you in, in an incredible way. He's being insulted, mocked. The enemy is showing the disdain that he has. He is, that ancient hostility is coming out. Look, look how it goes on in the next verse, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is crying out to his father, and he's crying out to his God. He is beginning to speak here, and as he is, he's addressing the ancient hostilities. I'm going to show you exactly how he's addressing ancient hostilities here in just a second. Because he's quoting from a psalm of David in Psalm 22. A very psalm that explains and describes the suffering Savior. Let's all turn to Psalm 22 together. And we're going to work our way through this psalm. Ancient hostilities when you get there. Psalm 22 verse 1. It says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sound familiar? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. I got to tell you and remind you here that fighting ancient hostilities is a bloody battle. And you are seeing it here in this verse. The cry of everyone, and I mean everyone, is at some point to cry out to see if there's another way to go about this. Isn't there an easier path? Why does it have to be this difficult? Why does it have to be so serious? Can't we just relax and have a good time? Can't you just preach more messages that make us feel good about what we've already done? No. Jesus himself is crying out and saying, God, why are you forsaking me? This is after his time at Gethsemane when he's praying, Lord, is there another way? I mean, I'm not doubting your plan, but I'm just going to ask in case there was a different way. Do I, I know what the plan is, but I'm going to ask you if there's a different way. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. Lord, is, are you sure that there's not another way that I can do this? This is going to be a bloody battle. No, there's not another way that he could do it. There's not a way that you, another way that you or I could do it either. It requires a bloody battle. Let's look at verse 7 to see some more examples of Jesus. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. They say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Do you hear the direct quotes of Psalm 22 as we read in Matthew 27? That these participants at the crucifixion are merely just puppeting what the ancient hostilities have been declared to be saying all along. But imagine another thing. Jesus at the crucifixion. This is the Lamb of God. This is the King of the Jews, the Lord of glory. And there he is being crucified near naked, bloody, and beaten. 
And I don't mean what you would normally see displayed on a crucifix hanging up in grandma's house. I'm talking about beyond recognition is how he was beaten. Bloody, tattered, and torn. And it's there in that most humbled, vulnerable state where his body is ripped to shreds and his soul is engaging these ancient hostilities greater than anyone ever would and ever has taking on the sin of the world and insults are being hurled at him. People are shaking their head in ultimate disapproval. What happens to your feelings whenever you do something wrong and two people notice it? They don't even say anything. That shame, that guilt, that desire to want to run and hide that vulnerability in the moment. See, here in this moment, it's, it's not only the people surrounding him that are doing these things. It's the entities of ancient hostilities in the heavenly realms that are doing this. The exposure of crucifixion invites mocking from those that are operating in ancient hostilities. So when you begin to think about what is happening at the cross, it's more than just a physical display of something that was prophesied. This is reaching into the celestial realms. A normal effective tool for the Jews to use is something called stringing pearls, where they mention one phrase and expect you to know the rest of the phrase. On the cross, Jesus uses and quotes from Psalm 22 throughout. And he expects you to know the parts that are in between what he's quoting on the cross. Let's look at one of those things that is in between that we know must be happening there on the cross that you and I are supposed to be able to get. Are you ready to get something fresh tonight? Yeah. Let's look at verse 12. We're still in Psalm 22. Verse 12. It said, many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open, um, their mouths wide against me. What if what's going on here is not just about the Roman soldiers that beat Jesus Christ mercilessly? What if it's more than just those who were mocking and insulting what if it was more than just the ancient hostilities that were being manifest in the people around? Let's engage with this for a moment. Jesus was surrounded by many things on the cross. False accusations. <laughs> At different times, priests and teachers of the law, rebels, thieves, mockers. That's what the word says was surrounding him. But this psalm teaches us something of grand importance. He was surrounded by ancient spiritual hostilities as well. The bulls from Bashan, that ancient mountain right there at Hermon. The bulls of Mount Hermon of Bashan were there. The site of ancient defection, the very site of ancient hostilities. And this verse is telling us, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. I'm trying to help you to grasp something that maybe you've never seen before. See, there is something about the ancient hostilities that are there that you don't get to see, that you can't see with your human eyes, but there's something more going on in the crucifixion than you and I have been led to believe in the years prior to now. What if the crucifixion is more than just about conquering your sin? Oh, it'll do that for you. It is absolutely a beautiful part of what happened at the crucifixion. But the crucifixion is more than you just defeating your sin. Think about how myopic that is. Yeah. Yeah. He died on the cross just for me. How ridiculous. If you would have been the only one, he would have died. But you're not the only one. That's a hypothetical thought that you're trying to share with someone about Christ's love. But you've got to also understand that he's a warrior. Yeah. Yeah. 
And while he is on the cross, suffering the mocking, suffering the physical pain, he is also seeing and addressing the spiritual entities that are encircling him there. And he's saying, all ancient hostilities, I'm addressing you all right now. I'm looking at all of you, and I'm dealing with you right now. You think I'm weak, but this is my point of victory. You just don't know it yet. This bloody battle that I'm engaging in is more than just for my people to overcome their sin. And so they'll stand up with me and fight all of you. Amen. This is how they become like me. This is how they can become transformed into what I am. I will lay down my life that they may find my life. Come on. How ridiculous is it for us to look at a cross and make it a piece of jewelry and say, it's so my sin can be defeated. What a limited, small, childish, infantile view of what Jesus Christ did here on the cross. Of course your sin is hostile to God. Romans 8 tells you that. The mind controlled by the flesh is hostile towards God. You can't please God that way. Of course you need to defeat your sin. But there's something more. Somebody say there's more. There's more. you got to start fighting against some ancient hostilities. No wonder you got to get your sin under control. you got bigger enemies to fight. Yes than just the wickedness in your own heart. Can't control your eyes. How are you ever going to defeat the ancient hostilities when you can't even turn off your phone? Can't overcome the despair inside of your own heart. Can't figure out how to be grateful. He did more on the cross than you can imagine. He was warring against the ancient hostilities both in the heavens and on the earth. He was providing the very key to victory through his bloody sacrificial battle. In the same way, think about it, it was just the same way in Exodus. Think about what Exodus was. They put the blood on the doorpost, on the mezuzah. Why? So the death angel would pass over them. But was that all that was going on? Or did Exodus 12, 12 also tell us that he was judging the gods of Egypt? There's more to what he did on the cross. It's insulting for us to only view his sacrifice in very intimate, personal terms. You're at war, church. You're at war. His bloody victory started at the cross, and it's always been aimed at defeating all. Somebody say all. All. All of the ancient hostilities. He is bringing justice. He will bring righteousness. He will bring freedom to the entirety of creation. And you know how he's going to do that? He won it at the cross, but you know the actual process to see victory come on this earth? It's through you. It's through me. We got to rise up, church we got to go to war against all of the ancient hostilities. Because that's exactly what Jesus Christ afforded for you at the cross. Amen. Look, go to verse 27. As we focus on all. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Do you hear the declaration of a bloody victory in this passage? Let me read to you from Matthew 27 as you hold your place there. Matthew 27, 51, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of their tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went to the holy city and appeared to many people. Do you see the evidence of those who go down to the dust will rise to kneel before him? 
those very ones that cannot keep themselves alive, it's because they join the warrior king in the bloody battle. They join the warrior king in this bloody victory, and it ensured to them resurrection power was going to be on its way. Verse 30 in Psalm 22. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Amen. It is finished. Yeah. The bloody battle was initiated at the cross, and it stands finished. But yet, there's a battle that rages on. Aren't you familiar with that battle, that bloody battle? Of being a representative, an ambassador, a warrior with the warrior king? And as you engage with those ancient hostilities, it is a bloody battle that you're waiting for that bloody victory to come about? Well, there's more to learn. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. See, just because you and I may have missed the battle that was won there at the cross and its full intent more than just sin, but all ancient hostilities doesn't mean that the ancient hostilities didn't understand what happened at the cross. They clearly know what's going on, and they are going to war even more fervently. Ro uh, Revelation 12, verse 9, tells us this. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. It's like it is wanting to make sure that you put it, it's the dragon it's the ancient serpent from Genesis 3. It's the devil. It's Satan. It's him. it's him who leads the whole world astray. He is the force behind the ancient hostilities. He was hurled to the earth. This did not happen in some ancient past. It happened at the cross. It happened through Jesus' victory. And that is when, see, do you see that the cross is more than what we make it? He was thrown down, hurled to the earth, and his angels with him is who Satan was. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God. Hey, by the way, them there's fighting words. Now that Jesus has accomplished this, has come the salvation, the power, the kingdom of God, and the authority of his Christ, of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God night and day, like in the book of Job, like in the book of Zechariah, like the whole time that was going on behind the scenes. That guy has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, a bloody battle, and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They understood that they were in a war. Look at verse 12. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. The Apostle John is addressing both the heavens and the earth. Listen to it. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has gone down. And he didn't land in Georgia. He landed on the whole planet. Because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Do you see that the ancient hostilities understood that the cross was more than just about saving you? It's about saving God's plan. It's about winning in war. It's about never letting the ancient hostilities win. So they are fighting harder now because they understood it's time for us to understand this. It's time for us to engage in this. And we are a church who speaks like this more than most that I know. And you know what else I know? We need it tonight. You need to quit being so distracted in your little things that are going on. You need to be able to conquer the things that are right before you in your own household. You need to be able to put right shalom between you, husbands, and you, wives. you got to get after raising your kids. I'm not saying it's not going to be difficult. As a matter of fact, I'm saying it might be a bloody battle. But you got to go fight it. Because there are other enemies that you must graduate to. This is what God has for us. Look at verse 17 of the same passage in Revelation. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. Namely, those who keep God's commands 
and hold fast to the testimony of Christ. Church, you're at war whether you know it or not. You can duck and, and, and put your head in the sand. You can wish for happy days. You can kind of sit and twiddle your thumbs if you'd like. Or you can actually get into the battle that you're already engaged in. Those who don't understand this principle get picked off constantly because they don't think that they're actually at war. They'll say it, onward Christian soldiers from, from generations ago. I, I hear the army of the Lord rising up. We can talk about come out of that grave. We can talk about it a lot, but are you engaging with this daily? Are you getting after the battle? It looks like a tenacity that says, I don't care how hard it is. I'm expecting it to be bloody. Amen. But I'm expecting to win yes. because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Yes. As long as the ancient serpent is making war, then the ancient path is not yet complete, friends. Mm. And we got to get back at it. There are still ancient hostilities to contend with, and God has enlisted, empowered, and commissioned you and me to join in this bloody but victorious battle. Turn with us to our final passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians 2. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Another way to say that is during ancient times. None of the rulers of this age understood it. None of the archon of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Do you notice how time and time again, no matter what strategy these ancient hostilities have, it's flawed? It's flawed from the beginning. It's flawed in the present, and it is flawed in the future. That God stands and reigns supreme. No one has taken his title. No one has stolen his belt away from him. He stands as the one who reigns over all. What they thought was victory was their ultimate defeat. You see that clearly with Haman in the book of Esther. What he thought was victory was his ultimate feat, defeat. He was hung with his own gallows. The crucifixion of the Messiah and the crucifixion of our own lives appears to be a defeat. Death is required. A bloody battle is required. But saints, we are declaring tonight it is our ultimate victory. A bloody battle is our ultimate bloody victory. But we have more to share with you about it. Verse 9 says this. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, you can see it on the screen. You can see it if you're looking at your own Bible there, that this is a quote that this is a quote from Isaiah 64. That the writer there in Corinthians is supposed to, he's expecting you to know where this passage came from. Yeah. And the things that would be in the context of where the passage came from. No, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. I've heard this passage misused for most of my life. Well, we just can't know what's going on. Can't speak in tongues. Can't, can't know these things. That is not why this is quoted. I'm going to read to you Isaiah 64. Stay right where you are in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says this, Isaiah 64 verses 1 through 4. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Yeah, yeah. Just like he tore the veil in the temple at the crucifixion. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. The mountains would triple before you. Come on, think back to your ancient mountains teaching. 
And when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies. Yes. Come on and pick a fight, Lord. Come on and come down and show the warrior that you are. There are passages where God is mocking his enemies. I used to sing a song in church. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done for, for us. That song, give thanks, there you go. That song is quoting God mocking his enemies. <laughs> What a really, really bad interpretation. Give thanks. Yes, give thanks. But that's the wrong thing to be quoting, friends. He's saying, go ahead. Man, you guys look strong. Go ahead, enemies. Rouse yourself. Come on, get your strongest. Why don't you go ahead and take a few minutes. Make sure that you stretch out so you don't hurt yourself. Go ahead and eat your vitamins. Go ahead and get some Wheaties here, man. Go ahead. Take your time. Go ahead and get a drink of water. You need a little anything? Yeah, come on and fight me. Let your weakest say that they're strong. Let the poor say, I can do this. Everybody, get on up. And then they go to war against God, and he crushes them. He's making fun of them in that passage. Go ahead. Do your best. Y'all all heard what I was just thinking. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard. No ear has perceived. No eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Amen. This is a war declaration that 1 Corinthians is quoting from. God, that you will come down and kick the enemy in his face. And you will help those who are crying out to you to be able to do the same. That's what 1 Corinthians 2 is establishing and speaking to us about. Do you hear in Corinthians, Paul declaring the entire content of what's written in Isaiah 64? Look, the God who established the ancient path, who set in motion the ancient times, has planned a, a declaration from the beginning. And that declaration is, I will defeat all of the ancient hostilities through you. It requires you, church, to join his son in the bloody battle. It's time to conquer our personal sins so that we can go out and conquer the ancient hostilities. It's time to stop waiting for someone else to go to war for us. It's time to wage war against the ancient hostilities ourselves. It's time to lay down our lives for God's global plan. All of the nations to experience salvation by sacrificing our all to engage in this bloody and victorious battle. Let's read 1 Corinthians 2, 9, and 10 together to get the full context. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. Come on. He is waiting to strengthen, encourage, empower you as you rise to join in the bloody and victorious battle. So please stand now. What we have now before us is an opportunity. We have an opportunity to draw near to our warrior king. To rally in his bloody battle. Amen. We rally to our warrior king so we can receive empowerment. The empowerment to know what his strategy is by his spirit. And how he is going to defeat these ancient hostilities through us. We start 
we start by drawing near to our warrior king and acknowledging and joining his bloody sacrifice. We start with the blood of the lamb. We're going to take time at the altar to get our hearts right, to get our minds right, so that we can rightly participate and engage in the blood of the lamb, so that we can participate in his bloody victory, so that through us, we can be the fist of God to destroy his ancient hostilities. Church, what you're hearing from your pastors tonight is a clarion call for you to think more of the cross than you ever have before. If you need to take care of sinful ways in your life, this altar is going to be open. And we invite you to do that. Because there's more. You have been called to be a part of this body so that we can go out and make war against the enemies who hate our God. It's time for us to put on the full armor of God and begin to make war against the things. We do not have the time nor the desire to stay on the low level, safe outreaches of where the battlefield is. I want to run headlong into where my God is telling me to go. And I know it will cost me everything, but I know that in advance because it cost him everything. And I want to be just like him. Don't leave us out, Lord, should be your cry. Don't leave me out, Lord. Help me to get these sins underfoot so I can go and put the enemy underfoot. Raise your hands to the Lord now. Mighty God, let a warrior spirit rise up in this house warrior spirit to put down our own sin a warrior nature that says i cannot stand any more despair i cannot stand my own faithlessness i must have you at work in my life because you have enemies and i want you to use me to put those enemies down god give us breakthrough tonight warrior king we acknowledge that what you did on the cross was more than we give credit for. Yes, we want to crush our sin, but we want to crush our sin that we might be a part of crushing all of the ancient hostilities. Let a warrior spirit rise in this house tonight. Let your power be upon your people now in Jesus' name.